I'm talking today with a sergeant from a mid-size agency in the Pacific Northwest. She has 20 years in law enforcement. She explains she never even considered becoming a police officer, in large part because of the unfavorable view she had of law enforcement while she was growing up. We talk about what changed her mind and why a career as a law enforcement officer means so much to her. As she explains, especially as a woman of color, being able to represent the underrepresented. We discuss how the area she grew up in, which was known for gang violence, and her first job as a counselor for incarcerated youth, helped inform her work as a police officer. We also talk about her reaction to the killing of George Floyd. I want to note that our interview took place prior to the Derek Chauvin trial, and our conversation and reactions are based on the incident as it was portrayed in the news when it happened. We also discuss what it's like being a police officer during these difficult times for law enforcement. Sergeant, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'd love to start out with what made you decide to become a police officer? It wasn't in my plan, I can say that much. I grew up in the area, went to the University of Washington, majored in political science and thought that I was going into law. And I ended up taking on an internship working with incarcerated youth. And that led to a job there after I graduated from college. But while I was there, there were a number of people who were testing to get onto various police departments. And I didn't see what the excitement was about the job. For one, growing the area that I grew up in was known for gang violence and a lot of issues. So there was a lot of police attention in my neighborhood growing up, but it wasn't positive. While I had no issues whatsoever with police officers or, you know, I, I, I wasn't on the wrong side of the law, the interactions that I remembered growing up with police officers was negative. They weren't friendly. I saw a lot of mistreatment of people, unnecessary mistreatment of people that I personally knew. You know, I, ha I just have a very different view when it comes to people who are associated with gangs. Those are people I grew up with. Those were super close friends of mine, you know, as kids. And I can remember walking to the park with a basketball and we were always taught to respect police officers, you know, and make sure that you say hi to them when you see them. I can remember waving at them and getting absolutely nothing back. The short of it is I didn't like police officers growing up. But then it turns out that my brother-in-law was a police officer or had become one, invited me to go on a ride-along. He says, hey, you should look into this job. I'm like, no, that's not for me. He also grew up in the same area that I did, so he understands my issues with police. I'm sure that he shared a bit of that as well. And after going on a couple ride-alongs with him, I realized this job is not what I thought it was. There's so much opportunity to do good and to make positive changes. And then it was actually a couple friends of mine, really close friends of mine from college, when they knew that I was considering the job, they told me, you know what, maybe you'll be the police officer that people actually want to talk to. And I think that's when it dawned on me that I could truly be the officer that I wanted to see growing up, that I could be the change I wanted to see. And so I tested for the department and 
was hired in 2001. Let me go back to two things you said. When you say mistreatment by the police, what do you mean? I can think of a time that a friend was mistaken to be somebody else and was arrested, but treated very poorly. Not knowing then what I know now, I would say that there was an unnecessary use of force against this person that I knew growing up. And after it was discovered it was the wrong person, there was no apology, there was no, there was nothing except get out of here and go back home. And that's not how, that's not how you treat people. Things like that. Do you think that police still do that today? Oh, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure they do. As far as whether or not we've evolved since, from what I saw growing up to what I'm seeing now, probably to a degree. And, and I also have to say, my understanding of law enforcement, of course, now is very different from what I understood law enforcement to be when I was younger, when I was a kid. I didn't understand what necessary use of force was versus unnecessary use of force. I wouldn't have known the difference. To me, it was all unnecessary. As a kid, you know, when you see that, you don't know any better. And then, of course, as a kid growing up, you're just scared of the police because you just associate police with jail. I think now there still exists officers who don't treat people with the fullest respect. I mean, I, I have no doubt about that at all. I mean, where I work, is that is that common? I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say it's common. I wouldn't say that it's gone away by any means. I can only speak confidently for the area in which I work and live. So I can't speak for other areas of the nation and, and what it was like and how they do their business now, but specifically having grown up in this area in the Pacific Northwest and specifically working in the Pacific Northwest, I can say, yeah, I, I believe that it does exist, but I, I honestly couldn't put it on a scale to say how it's evolved for the better or worse. And then going back to, you know, you did the ride along, you said police work was not what you thought it was. So tell me more about that. What did you learn? Well, again, growing up, I, I, I felt that police officers had no personalities. What I saw was a uniform and the gun and someone with a lot of authority. And you just do what they say. Otherwise, you can get hurt or you can go to jail. I think going on the ride along exposed me to the human side of the job because this was me riding and observing a person that I know very well, a person that also grew up in the same areas as I did. Your brother-in-law. Yeah, and so to see him do the work and to see him interact with the public, it definitely changed my perspective because I, I didn't realize there's so much more to the job than just hooking and booking people, you know? There's, there's a lot more to it. And there are opportunities to have true personal connections with people and personal interactions with people. And, and I think that's what inspired me to look further into law enforcement as a career. And so once you got in, it was it what you hoped it would be? Yeah, it absolutely was. And more. For when I learned a lot about myself, just going through the program. I, and I think I mentioned earlier, prior to starting 
my work as a police officer, I was a juvenile rehabilitation counselor. So I work in a juvenile corrections facility as a counselor with incarcerated youth. They, they were incarcerated for any and every crime. I mean, all the way up to murder. So I, I really got a chance to understand these young human beings who committed these, some of these horrific crimes. And some of these kids, you know, there were youth in there who were associated with gangs. There were, they came from all walks of life, bottom line. It just gave me a different perspective on the juvenile criminals as human beings. So I came into this job truly from a social worker's point of view. You know, I, I, I didn't come in here feeling like all criminals are pieces of crap. And because I also grew up in an area where I understood why people were associated with gangs and the crimes that come along with being with gang, in, involved with gangs, you know. So I, I just, I came into this job with a different understanding of people. And then with that, I felt that I could maneuver as a police officer very differently and, and use that to my advantage to just treat everybody as a human being. You don't have to respect me first for me to respect you. But at the end of this interaction, there should be a level of mutual respect between us, whether you like me as a police officer or whether I agree with something that you did, there should still be a level of respect as human beings and treating people with respect. And I've had an opportunity to do that. I've been a detective. I've been a patrol officer. I've worked in a number of positions that have just allowed me to show people that law enforcement officers aren't just that, like we're human beings. I'm somebody's daughter. I'm somebody's wife. I'm somebody's mom. I'm somebody's sister. I'm somebody's friend. Before and after I put the uniform on. That allows a trust to be built between myself and the people that I interact with in the community. I don't claim that I do everything right. I, I operate from my heart. We were trained, especially in the academy. We, I mean, we were warned about the dangers of the job. You know, obviously there are people who want to hurt police officers. There are people who want to kill police officers and, they're, and you'll be threatened and your families will be threatened. And of course, Protecting is what we do. So it's in our nature to protect ourselves and our families. And so exposing too much of yourself makes you vulnerable, right? That's not an easy thing for a lot of people to do. But I have found that to a degree, those same vulnerabilities allow for me to do my job that much more effectively. I find it incredibly interesting that you were working with incarcerated youth for two reasons. One, there is a lot of conversation, I believe, on a national level about trying to end juvenile detention, that these kids should be in programs, not jail. So I want your feedback on that. And then also, how did working with incarcerated youth, you, you were beginning to elaborate on that, influence how you saw youth maybe that you had to arrest. I have to believe that helped you understand more about why they might be in the situation they find themselves in. So do you think there needs to be juvenile detention? And how did that work inform your police work? My answer is kind of twofold with that. I worked in that capacity from 96 till 2000. So times were a little bit different then. I will say, though, when there's a thought process that, that youth need to be involved in programs 
This facility was run by um, JRA, Juvenile Rehab Administration, through DSHS. It was full of treatment programs. So, you know, that's why I wasn't considered a corrections officer. I was considered a rehabilitation counselor. The, the issue that I see is that the vast majority of the youth that were incarcerated then, and I'm sure that this hasn't changed, they lack family support. And so if you don't have a level of structure where they are, quote, forced to participate in these programs, they're not going to have the family support that's going to force them to participate in these programs. So being in a lockup facility 24-7 for the duration of their sentences, they had to attend these groups and these therapy or treatment sessions and counseling sessions. Now, there was drug and alcohol counseling back then. There were mental health specialists. They went to school. The school was through the local jurisdiction's school district. They had opportunities to attend church. They had recreational activities. I thought it was a great program, personally. And I saw a lot of positive turnaround in some of the kids. Some who really wanted change and really wanted to work at it and turned around and made something of themselves. And it was really cool because when I'd be out in the community, I'd run into a couple of them and I'd hear them yell my name. Don't you remember me? You were my counselor or I wasn't. Oh my gosh. And to see them doing really well and they're staying clean and, you know, they'd give me updates about jobs and stuff that they have. So there was truly a benefit to it, but I think that it could be further enhanced if there was some sort of involvement from their families, because the problem is they would participate in all this treatment and then go right back out to the same environment that didn't support them in those efforts before. I can remember them celebrating, you know, I've got three days in a wake up and I'm out. And within a week or two, they'd be right back in there. And in talking to them, it would turn out that they lacked the structure when they were back out. That had to have been very insightful for you once you hit the streets as a police officer. Yeah, so taking the experiences that I gained as a juvenile corrections counselor to the streets as a police officer, for one, I had my own life experience, things I knew and saw from growing up. Then I have the experience of from college, right? And then the experience from the facility as a counselor, I learned a lot about why, why a particular juvenile chose to do what they did that got them locked up in the first place. And just understanding their stories and understanding the homes from which they came and transferring that to my current line of work, I just, I felt like I could come into situations, especially dealing with youth in the street. I mean, I, I had a really good rapport with the kids. It was a little different though, because I was treated differently as a police officer initially. You know, it goes back to what I said before, the uniform is intimidating. The uniform is something that people have, they've grown and they've been taught to not trust in, in certain areas, in certain neighborhoods and demographics, not to trust police because of a history of, of people feeling mistreated. 
So having to kind of overcome that barrier at times, not, not all kids. I think that the experiences that I had from working with the incarcerated youth really helped me to navigate that much easier as a police officer. You mentioned how use of force appeared to you as a young person, not understanding what you understand now as a police officer. But could you elaborate on what you learned and what maybe people perceive as overuse or misuse when it may in fact be necessary? Well, I think I should back up before even talking about use of force. If, for example, as a, as a younger kid, I, I saw someone yelling, someone who's being uh, arrested by police yelling in pain or struggling with police, my automatic assumption would have been that the police are hurting that person. Why are they doing that to him? He's saying that his wrists hurt or he's yelling, ow, ow, why are they hurting him? You know, like, what did he do? Look at them. They're just messing with him, you know, not knowing any better. And back then, I didn't understand exactly what it meant to resist arrest. It's one thing to run from police officers, right? It's another thing to not allow a police officer to place handcuffs on you, to place you into custody. And any pulling and any movement, any action that prevents an officer from being able to effectively place handcuffs on a person can lead to resisting arrest, can be resisting to a degree, right? I guess I didn't give the police officers any benefit of the doubt because of the things that I saw, knew, and heard. But now in my current role, I have had to struggle with people who were not allowing me to put handcuffs on them when they rightfully needed to be arrested for a crime that they committed. And I didn't understand then that there are dangers with that because typically people who don't want to be arrested are going to do everything that they can to not be arrested, whether it means run or fight or kill. And I think, you know, as, as a kid, I didn't, I didn't think that that was an issue. I thought the issue was more the police actions. And so With the understanding that I have now, you should only use enough force that's necessary to control that situation. So, or to effect an arrest. Meaning, what do I need to do to get you into handcuffs? You know, if I've already got the handcuffs on you, there should be no further force necessary. But then there are situations, of course, that people use other parts of their bodies to try to hurt officers at that point, right? You know, and so then you use enough force to contain that. So if somebody's kicking, for example, then you use enough force to deal with that, to make that stop. Or if they're now banging their head on something to hurt themselves, you got to stop that. Now, you you know, you did say something that I can't help but ask. And, you know, when it came to George Floyd, he was contained. He was handcuffed. As a police officer and as a woman of color, what was your reaction? I was pissed. And if I had one word, the first thing I thought was unnecessary. Honestly, there's nothing that anybody could tell me or show me to convince me otherwise. When I saw that, it was really difficult to watch. But what I saw was the lack of value of a human life. And specifically, the lack of value of a black man's life. 
and and it pissed me off as a representative of law enforcement to see that it pissed me off in more ways than I can even describe. It was a bad representation of law enforcement. It made me understand at a different level, I think, than ever before, what people of color have experienced with police. Yep. And that, that particular incident is reminiscent of how I felt towards police officers growing up. This is what could happen. And I, I don't have any, any instances where I was aware of any police officers murdering anybody. But growing up and with many of the black men that I grew up with or came to know or had conversations with throughout my life, there are very few who can honestly say they've never had a negative interaction with police. And that's so concerning on so many levels. And just for the record, I I represent the black community in this job. That's another thing that has been encouraging for me is to have people say, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to see you. I, I, we never see officers who look like you. There's comfort in feeling, okay, there's someone who's like me who's here. So I think that I can trust this situation a little bit more and I'm not going to be hurt. How sad is that? When I can honestly say that I truly, with the people, the men and the women that I, I've worked with over the years, the overwhelming majority of them that I personally know, I believe in my heart of hearts that not a one of them wake up and say, let me go hurt someone today. I can't wait to mess somebody up today. But I do believe that there are people who happen to be in positions in law enforcement who operate in an area of the unknown. And what I mean by that is they they don't know and understand cultures enough, in my opinion, to effectively work with and communicate with those cultures. And some people, because they have such limited experience with certain cultural communities, I truly believe they operate out of fear. And and I think that anytime anybody operates out of fear, they're not going to make rational decisions. So going back to George Floyd, what I saw was just a flat out lack of value for human life, lack of value for a black man's life. And it made me sick. Me too. You know, I think we all agree that that was a tragedy and it was wrong. How does it feel as a police officer to have so much hatred directed at you as a result of that? I personally haven't felt a lot of hatred directed towards me as a result of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, the list goes on and on and on. I personally haven't felt hatred directed at me. But indirectly, I have felt the hatred directed at law enforcement in general. So I can't help but to take a level of that personally, because at some point that could be somebody who directs that right at me. So when they speak negatively about police officers, they're still talking about me, whether they say it to my face or say it about me or not, right? So it's disheartening because 
I know what I bring to this job. I've had countless positive interactions with people. I work with some of the most wonderful people who are police officers. And it's hurtful to know that everybody has been classified as bad. I, I can remember right around June, during the protests and civil unrest, I had a lot of conversations with other officers. And I can remember one particular officer came to me, and he's white. I think that that's important to know. He came to me and his eyes were welled up in tears. Hadn't quite dropped yet, but they were there. And he said, um, I mean, every day that I come to this job, I try to treat everybody with the same respect. I talk to people, I get to know people. I work really hard. I try to always do the right thing. But on my way into work the past couple of days, I had people flipping me off, yelling, fuck you, cop. What can I do? What more can I do? And it was really, it was, it was really hard because I couldn't relate to that feeling, honestly. But what I said was, you got to keep doing what you're doing because a couple people forgot. But I know for a fact that there are so many people out there who haven't forgotten who we are, what we do, the value we bring to their communities. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing, keep being the good, keep doing the right thing. And the only thing that I would add to that is now more than ever, I think it's really important for people to start seeing us as human beings. But we're the only people who can make that happen. Because if you really stop and think about it, when police officers show up to any scene, it's all business. We're gonna ask you the questions, who, what, where, when, why, and how. Give me a description. We get on our radios, we try to hurry up and get all the information out. We give you your case number and we leave. We write our reports. For most cases, there isn't a lot of personal interaction, you know? But I think that it's just important for us to bring more of our human side into the picture. And I think that's where people will start to see us as the human beings that they can trust versus seeing us as an authority with a uniform, a badge, and a gun. I've also encouraged people just take a step back out of your own shoes and just look at you or look at your partner in a uniform. It's scary. Like for someone who doesn't know any better, it can look scary. I mean, in so many ways, most of us walk funny because the gear is so heavy and, and it's awkward. You know, you can't put your arms down at your side. You can't because of your equipment on your, on your duty belt. So, I mean, we see, we, that, this is our normal, looking at each other every day in the uniforms. And it's like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so. And I can see right through that, right? But for someone who's not used to interacting with police officers, I know that we all notice it. Their eyes are looking at our gun. They're kind of eyeballing us up and down in this uniform. And it's probably scary. So the only, I think that it's not up to them to find the human in us. I think it's up to us to show the human in ourselves in these interactions with them. And I, I think about some of my friends and some of my associates are like, oh, I got pulled over, but the cop was really cool. And they even laughed at me about this. And I'm like, they even laughed. We laugh about a lot of things. I mean, like we're human beings, you know? And I think that just something like that goes such a long ways with people, whether it's just 
you know, sharing a personal experience, you know, I mean, I do that all the time with people. If there's something that is relatable to me, you know, I've been a victim before where someone's broken into my car or broken into my home even, and I've shared that. And the response that I get is like, wow, even you? Yeah. So I totally understand how you feel right now, violated, because that's how I felt. But I'm going to do the exact same job for you that I wanted that officer to do for me when they showed up when I called 911. That is one thing that we can do in addition to working to be the good every day, treating people right, treating people with respect. Man, show, show our human side, because I think that that's lacking and people really don't understand that it exists beneath this uniform. Like I mentioned before, I'm, I'm a mom and a wife and a daughter and a sister and a friend and so much more before and after this uniform comes on. So much of that is lost. And it is why I'm trying to do these stories with this podcast. That's great. In part two of my interview with the sergeant, we tackle the subject of deadly use of force, when it is necessary, and how it looks to civilians watching these incidents play out on the news and in social media. We then turn to the rewards of the job, the people she remembers, the impact they had on her, and in fact, the impact they've had on each other. <laughs>